the, the values of the kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus is describing. If you're going to be a member, a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, you have to exchange your passport for citizenship in the kingdom of this world for a passport in the kingdom of heaven. They're completely different values. You have to be empty of self. You have to be poor in spirit in order to be a member of the kingdom of heaven, a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And if you will empty yourself, you will become immediately aware of uh, your, the, the sinful state of your own heart and the sinful state of this world around you, and that will, you'll be broken for that. And you will have with you a sentiment of mourning that you kind of carry around, a solemnity that you kind of carry around with you, always aware of the brokenness of the sin of this world. This will immediately impact your relationships. Um, you won't be fighting for recognition, uh, fighting for, um, uh, for notoriety, uh, rather, and you won't you know, live for that kind of thing. Rather, you'll, you'll find that humility is what you embrace um, and thinking less of yourselves and thinking more of who Jesus is and what he has done on your behalf as, as the king of the citizen as a king of the kingdom of God. Um, and, and then uh, you see the segue there for the first two about you and God, and then there's this, this you and your relationships, this humility thing. Uh, and then Jesus enters into in 6, 7, and 8, he, he, um, and, the, and 9 as well. He begins to talk about what it's going to, what it's going to look like for you to live as a citizen of the kingdom of God in the kingdom of this world. It impacts not just you, but your relationships with others and how you go about in your behavior, what's important to you, what you give your time, money, and effort to. And so he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Um, when you become a citizen of the kingdom of God, you want the realities that you know are true between you and God and what's everything that's good about the kingdom of God. You want that to be present in this world. You want that to be present in your life and you want that to be present in this world. And so you hunger and thirst after those things. Blessed are the merciful. Um, you, uh, God has looked on you as um, because of the work of Jesus, you, you realize that God has not acted towards you as he should have. Um, if you're in Sunday school this morning, we are all aching. We, de we deserve the punishment and the justice of God. But in the person of Jesus, he has taken it on our behalf. He has not given us what we deserve. He gave it to Jesus instead. And that has an impact on the way that we live in this world. We bring mercy to our relationships, and we want and expect it and bring it to society as a whole. And now Jesus takes us to verse 8, which is, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. That's, that's the promise. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. So I want to talk this morning about pure in heart. Uh, seven years ago, this month, um, there was a budget crisis in the city of Flint, Michigan. Michigan had, uh, Flint had changed its water source from the Detroit Public Water and Sewer Department, which was, of course, heavily treated and, and it was sourced out of Lake... I could like do the hand thing because if you're from Michigan, you do the hand thing, but I won't do the hand thing. If you source from Lake Huron and from the Detroit River, so that's where they were getting their water. But because of the budget crisis in 2014, they switched water sources over to the Flint River. 
okay? And so very quickly, residents started to complain about the taste and the smell and the appearance of the water. And when they made that transition, the city did not apply uh, chemicals to the water that would prevent corrosion in the lead pipes that were a part of the city system in various places. And the result of this was lead poisoning in the water, lead, elevated lead levels, okay? And some 100,000 residents of the city of Flint were exposed. So you even had some people, there was also a Legionnaire's outbreak, a bacterial outbreak, and a lot of people think that that's where it came from as well. Twelve people died of Legionnaire's as a result. So, you know, they're, they're working, they've been working on that, you know, a few lawsuits later, right? They're still, by the way, in the process of replacing all of the things that cause the lead-based lead water. And if you think that by not living in Flint, you're okay with when it comes to your drinking water, you, you might not be. Uh, I read this week an article on CNN that highlighted the sheer prevalence. Please, like, please still drink water, okay, when I tell you this, right? But the, the sheer prevalence of plastics in our food system that we just, it's just everywhere. Here's what the article said, quote, globally, we are ingesting an average of five grams of plastic every week. The average, five grams of plastic, that's about the size of a credit card, Okay. The plastic contamination comes from microplastics smaller than five millimeters, which make their way into our food, our drinking water, or even the air, okay? Which originate from a variety of sources like artificial clothing fibers. Here's looking at you, polyester. Microbeads found in toothpaste. Did you know your toothpaste could have little plastic microbeads to help scrape all the tartar off your teeth? Bigger pieces of plastic that break into smaller pieces when they're thrown away and make their way into the elements, maybe even into the fish that you are eating, that they be caught, right? Because it gets into the rivers and oceans, gets eaten by the fish. For the first time, we found water, we found plastics in human blood in an autopsy for the first time in the last couple of weeks. Like, you, you know? Like, do you have that reaction? Like, we have that reaction because purity matters. Purity matters. There are just some areas in our lives that which we can all agree that it's really important that we have purity or, or an acceptable degree of purity, right? We want our drinking water. We want our supplements. We want our hotel bedsheets to have some acceptable level of, of purity, right? What about our lives, what is an acceptable level of purity that you expect for yourself or for others? Jesus says in Matthew 5, 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. It, it is only appropriate that, um, that we treat this passage purely. Okay, So I'm going to be really straightforward with it, just so we can be like, I don't want to kind of, I'm not going to mess with it. I'm going to read it, and I'm going to explain it. So I'm going to give you a biblical understanding of what the heart is, because that carries with it all kinds of baggage, we, cultural baggage about what that even means. But the Bible tells us what it means when it's talking about it in the Bible. So we're going to define that. 
we're going to talk about that. Will, that will, when, when I talk about what the heart is, I mean, what does, what does it mean with regard to somebody who's in the kingdom of the kingdom of God, a citizen of the kingdom of God, and the condition of the heart prior to? We're going to define purity in the Bible, and then we're going to define what it means to see God. Okay. Like I said, pure a pure explanation. So what is the heart? The heart is the center of your personality. The heart is your will. It is your mind. It is your emotions all wrapped up into one totality. That's what the heart is. So when Jesus says pure in heart, Jesus' focus is on the total package of what it means to be human. All the things. He's not talking about any one of those things. He's not talking about any combination of two of those things, like the pick two menu at Panera. Okay, pick, heart is emotions and uh, uh, my intellect, but not my will. Like It's not, not any one of those combinations. It's all the things. It's everything that it means to be human. So it's when Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, he means pure in intellect and pure in your emotion and pure in your behavior. All those things together, pure in heart. Okay? Which means, <clears throat> implication number one, is that biblical Christianity is an all-or-nothing enterprise. There's some superficiality among Christians, but there's nothing superficial about biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity consumes the whole person. You can't follow Jesus with your mind and not your behavior. He can't rule over your mind and not your emotions. The kingdom of God value is purity of heart. It's purity of the whole person. Okay. There's no part of your life that the gospel doesn't influence or impact or touch. There, there, there is a tendency in southern Christian culture to draw a line of separation between church life and business life, for example. And there's just no version of that in the Bible. Okay, It's the whole person. And because it is those who are pure in heart that are blessed, this is a problem because if you read the Bible about the heart, it is just not even close to being pure. Genesis 6, 5, The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. By the way, verse 6, and it grieved him to his heart. Psalm 12, 2, everyone utters lies to his neighbor with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things. And it's desperately sick. Who can understand it? Jesus in Matthew 12, 34, speaking to very holy people. 
You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Paul in Romans 2 verse 5, Because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So we have this this understanding of, of the heart means that biblical Christianity is all in. It's the whole person, and the state of the whole person is an impure heart. But it's blessed are the pure in heart who get to see God. See the problem? See the problem? So the pure in heart are the ones who are blessed. This is a problem because the heart is not pure, and in this, the heart that's important, because it's the heart that's important, because it's the heart that really matters, and it's the whole person, we have to ask ourselves really deep and meaningful questions and not just pretend. We have to, we, we have to do away with the superficiality. We have to ask ourselves questions about our heart that really matter. This is a part of the being empty of self, poor in spirit, right, and mourning. There's a part of this that, that's required in pursuit of the pure heart, right? So we have to ask ourselves questions like, you know, what do we think about when our minds slip into neutral? What am I truly allegiant to? What do I want or more than anything else? What extent do my actions and my words cover up what's in my heart rather than actually deal with my heart? So there's just... If, if blessed are the pure in heart requires us to live a life that's not just banal. There's just, there's more. To, if blessed are the pure in heart, that means we have to weigh in on our hearts, which is more than March Madness, more than the Oscars, more than whatever. And that's what I mean by banal. Things that ultimately don't really matter when it comes to our heart. Okay? Now, they may reveal a lot about the state of the hearts, but they're not there, but they can be distractions. It is so easy to give your life to things that don't matter because there's so many of them and they're just entertaining enough. And you don't even have to worry about the state of your heart. What's a heart? I mean, I mean, I'm fine. Like, and Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart. Okay, heart is my whole person. And the Bible says that my heart is not. And if I'm honest about myself, I mean, I am Achan. I'm Joshua 7. Right? That's me right there. It's not. Pure. And so I have these questions have to come. I found this anonymous poem. If the whole world followed you, followed you to the letter, would it be a nobler world, all deceit and falsehood hurled from it altogether? Malice, selfishness, lust, banished from the crust, covering human hearts from view. Tell me if I followed you, would the world be better? So the state of the heart, the whole person, is impure. But blessed are the pure in heart. What, is, what do you mean by pure? Because I'm, what I think it means, Jesus, right away, I'm not there. So to answer this question, we've got to remember where Jesus is in the line of the Sermon on the Mount. Context, as my professor said many times, my Australian Bruce Winter, he said, a text without a context is a pretext 
for a proof text. Okay. So, in context, Jesus is applying the realities of the kingdom of God in both personal and social ways, right? So, hunger and thirst for righteousness, Jesus isn't just talking about um, my personal righteousness. He is talking about, but also social righteousness. See, seeing uh, a justice um, and for the downtrodden and for the oppressed. When, when he talked about being merciful, it's not just... Um, those who are truly, we noted is that those who are truly merciful don't just see a need internally, um, but we, we, we act on that. Like we bring mercy, we bring compassion to the world. So there's a social aspect of this. And so the same is true now, right? There's a personal purity that's at stake here that I've been bringing to bear on the filter already. But then there's also this social purity that's it's part of it, right? So in the personal purity, right, this is, this is what I've been alluding it to be. It's that personal, moral, inward purity. It's, it's inward, moral purity, right? So going back to Matthew 23, Jesus is in a conversation with the Pharisees in verses 25 through 28. He's getting at this in contrast to their obsession with looking pure on the outside, which is just one piece of the puzzle. It's the behavior side, right? Now, there's some intellect purity behind that as well, but it's mostly about being perceived as holy. And he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, which gets to the intellectual part. Hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate so that the outside may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, for you're like a whitewashed tomb, which is outwardly beautiful, but within is full of dead people's bones. So you're, you're outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So you see what Jesus is doing? He's saying you have to have a pure heart, not the appearance of a pure heart. And those two are very different things. Okay? And to focus on the appearance of a pure heart and not go for a pure heart will land you at the end of Matthew 7 where Jesus says, I do not know who you are. Even though you've done all of these things, I do not know you. So Martin Luther talks about that he does it from the other side, right? He, he takes a contrasting approach to Jesus, which I think is helpful. He says, this is a quote, Though a common laborer may be dirty or sooty or smell because he's covered with dirt and pitch, though he stinks outwardly, inwardly, he is pure incense before God because he ponders the word of God in his heart and he obeys it. Right? It's the inside, not the outside. It's a personal, inward, moral purity. That's, that's what pure in heart means. It's an inward, moral purity for you. But there are social implications. There's a social aspect to this. And that is how, how that inward, moral purity uh, informs your relationships with this world, both th- in this room, out in this world, and then the church's influence in this world institutionally, right? And that, that the word that, the, that Jesus uses in Matthew 23 and the word that the Bible uses consistently is sincere, okay? 
that the, the relationships of a pure heart are sincere. Listen to David, Psalm 24. He says, Who will ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who will stand in his holy place? You read slowly, you catch this stuff. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, comma, which means, let me elaborate, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, inward purity, and does not swear deceitfully. Social implication, right? The point David is making is that a pure heart is found in a man. You know you have a pure heart when you've found a man, found a woman, found a person who, in his relationships with God and man, there's no hypocrisy. Sin, sire, Latin, without cracks. There's no deceit. There's, there's transparency. There's sincerity regardless of the type of relationship. There's no give in to the temptation to wear one mask Here's looking at you, Enneagram 3 chameleons, and play a different role according to each occasion that you are in with regards to your character. To be one person in this room, one person in that room, one person, and play the audience. No, there's sincerity that the inward moral purity that you have plays itself out in your relationships with other people. It's just sincere. He is who he is. She is who she is. And there's an inward moral purity that's driving that because of the gospel, which I'll come to in just a minute. That's what a pure heart is. Blessed are the pure in heart. Citizens of the kingdom of God are inwardly pure and relationally sincere in their whole person. That's what this means. And that's a really blessed state to be in because you get to see God. For they will see God. What does that mean? It means two things. Number one, there is a sense in which you get to see God now at work in this world. You can see God in nature, whereas the unbeliever cannot. You can see God in the events of history as they unfold, looking back, looking in current events, whereas an unbeliever will not. There's a vision for a Christian that's possible that, that, is, that is different because you see the kingdom of God coming. It, you, you know it's coming, and you can see him at work. There, there's a sense that to see God is to know him, feeling that he is near and with us, imperfect as we are. We can claim even now already you can see God in those ways. You've had those moments, I hope. But there is also a sense in which you will see God forever, only and always. Paul says, we see through a glass darkly. It's his metaphor for this. The ways in which we see God already at work in this world are a teaser trailer for the real thing. You ever watch, you watch movie trailers? as a way of discerning whether or not you're going to go see or watch a movie. That's, what, that's kind of the idea that Paul is getting at. The ways in which we see God at this work are a trailer for the real thing that's coming. Okay? Listen to 1 John 3, 2. Listen to this. He says, Beloved, we are God's children now, 
and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. That's amazing. You and I, pressed as we are with all of the weird problems in this world, the chicken nuggets that we buy are up 25% in Costco. I'm devastated. And that, that's such, such a first world problem. But you understand what I'm saying? Like the economic and the social and the moral and the things that are going on in this world from, from, from Ukraine to inflation, whatever, just whatever, right? We're all, we got all this stuff, right? We're pressed in with all this stuff around us. But you and I as Christians are meant to live in the audience chamber of God, to quote Martin Lloyd-Jones. You and I are being prepared to enter into the presence of the King of Kings. That's the journey we're on, gang. We're going to see God. You're going to see... Moses couldn't see God. You're going to see God. Okay? So the question is, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. But the heart, the total of my being, is impure. That's the state of my heart. How am I going to get a pure heart so I can see God? I want that. How do I get that? How can I get that? Well, for just, I've got great news. If you'll write a check to me for $1,999, $1, I will give you a prayer that you can pray. No, I'm kidding, right? I'm, I'm kidding. Right? You, there's nothing you can do to give yourself a pure heart. There's nothing you can buy that will give you a pure heart. Try as though you may. You cannot become a monk to be, get a pure heart. You cannot become a nun to get a pure heart. You cannot pay reparations and have a pure heart. You cannot pay penance and have a pure heart. My, my preaching professor at, at Beeson's said, there is, you know, the five solas, you know, sola scriptura and so on, sola fide, etc., of the faith, he said, there is no sixth one, sola boot strappa. We don't pick up ourselves by our bootstraps to, to have a pure heart. That's not our gospel. You know, we, we can give our lives to working on purifying our own hearts, but at the very end of a long life where you work really hard to purify your own heart, it's going to be just as dirty as when you started. It doesn't matter what chemical you throw on it. If you think about the parable of the Good Samaritan, that, thing, that parable is so rich. I, I referenced it last week. But it teaches us that you can have an outward purity and you can have an inward purity. We can project purity on the outside without possessing purity on the inside. That's the, the three dudes that walked by did it because they wanted to be pure. They didn't want to be impure. So they left the guy half dead on the side of the road. They wanted and they were, they were pursuing purity through outward obedience, not looking at their heart. Think about the, the prodigal son. Well, there are actually two prodigal sons. One was lost and went off to a far country and squandered, but, and 
before he could even come back on his terms, the father ran out as soon as he saw him and grabbed him on his terms, on the father's terms. Right? But at the party where we're celebrating, another, the firstborn son walk, walks off. He didn't go far. He goes outside the party. He doesn't even want to participate in it, right? Right? And this son equated morality, he equated purity with staying, with, out, with, with outward, um, external morality. Uh, I stayed, I did, I performed, right? But he had no inward conviction, he had no delight, he had all the duty, but he had no delight. He had all the outward conformity, but he had no inward transformation, as evidenced by the fact that he could not celebrate that his brother had come home. So you, you can try all you want, but you can't make yourself have a pure heart. The best you could do is look like you have one, which is terrifyingly attractive and very satisfying if you want to be worshipped by people. Only God can actually give you a pure heart. And he has promised to do it. The only way in which we can have a clean heart is for the Holy Spirit to enter into us and cleanse it for us. Only his indwelling and working within us can actually purify our hearts. Give us a pure standing legally before God and begin to work in actually creating a pure heart in you for the glory of God, right? So if you're a Christian, then he is still your only hope. The process is an ongoing one, okay? He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. That's what that passage is about. God has set his hand to the work, and because of that, you and I can rest assured that there's a day coming when we're going to have a pure heart, not because of anything we did, because everything that he does by the power of the Spirit. Okay? And if you're not a Christian, the really good news here today is that I'm not asking you to walk here and try and become one. I'm asking you to believe in the one who lived a pure life on your behalf. Who, if you will trust in that, if you will trust in him, who he is and what he's done, the results of his pure life are immediately applicable to you before God. He's going to, when you die, if you died, you would, and you will, you will stand before God and God will say, not guilty. Because he's going to look on Jesus and pardon you. And, and, and if you believe... Today, today, he will begin to work at a true inward purity, moral purity in your heart because of your trust in Jesus' perfect life on your behalf. And the Holy Spirit comes and begins to do that work in your life. Let's pray together. Father, that's the hope that we trust in and believe in as a church, that our purity is not found in our own efforts, but in Jesus' effort. And we... Um, And that's a really good thing because even as we work in the power of the Spirit, we, we there's so much work to be done when it comes to our hearts. So we, we, we are, again, just driven to the cross, driven to the cross, grateful for your work, and, and we, we rest in it today.
And we ask for more of the Spirit's power to be better husbands, to be better wives, to be better children, to be better parents, to be better missionaries, to be better executives, to be better teachers with an inward morality that, that results in uh, sincere relationships in this world. We've said many times, as we've just, well, you've said, because we're just reading the Bible in order, but it says, the, is we, humility is the, is the greatest form of evangelism, the humble state of your people. If, if that's true about, you know, blessed are those who are meek, it's also true that our credibility and our integrity is a huge evangelism factor because blessed are the pure in heart. We're the ones who are going to see God. Make that true in our lives, in our church. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.